Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 8 of the Essential X Lapsed, where I'm probably going to have to stop and start this recording about 150 times over the course of the next several minutes, because uh, basically every other thing I say, uh, I get struck with allergy pangs in my throat, nose, and uh, everything that helps me speak, <laughs> basically, so... Uh, Oh boy, let's uh, let's just get into it here. Um, we are, of course, continuing our look at the Silver Age X-Men, not only in their own magazine, but in uh, all sorts of Marvel magazines, uh, as was evident by last episode and this episode, and, uh, well, not to put the cart before the horse, next episode as well. This time, we're looking at Strange Tales number 120. This had a May 1964 cover date. The story is called uh, The Torch Meets the Iceman. So, uh... I mean, that basically tells you exactly what we're going to see here. Written and edited by Stan Lee, pencils Jack Kirby, inks Dick Ayers, letters S. Rosen, colors the unknown colorist. Cover price, 12 cents. So, let's get into it here. Once again, we open with Stan Lee thanking Stan Lee for Stan Lee's permission on using Stan Lee's Iceman character from Stan Lee's X-Men magazine in Stan Lee's Strange Tales magazine, featuring Stan Lee's Human Torch from Stan Lee's Fantastic Four. Whew. Okay. Now we open with Johnny Storm reading a nebulous newspaper. Now we might assume it's the Daily Bugle, because why not? Doesn't say it, but I mean, why not? The cover story of this newspaper, well, actually, both the front and back cover stories, are about the mysterious X-Men. Now, the front is lauding their victory over the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and the back touts that there will be a series of articles dedicated to uh, unveiling these new heroes. Now, Johnny immediately notices Kid Cool, you know, the youngest X-Man at just 16 years of age, Iceman. The newspaper refers to him as, quote, a frozen version of the Human Torch, which, uh, I don't know, might be a bit of an oversimplification, but it's, I guess, maybe not something we can completely argue. Johnny states that he would uh, really like to meet this kid someday. Reed suggests that that might be tough because the X-Men's identities are secret. Johnny then drops a bit of exposition, or I, I suppose X hyphen position, on the readers of Strange Tales, mentioning that the X-Men, being mutants, were born with their superpowers. And I mean, should this be public knowledge? Um, did the X-Men introduce themselves as mutants? Why would a Marvel newspaper assume that the X-Men are any different from the Fantastic Four, or the Avengers, or Spider-Man, or... I don't know, whatever, let's just, uh, we'll, we'll let it, we'll let it be. Uh, now, Sue says she would love to meet this entire X-Men team, and Benji doesn't give a rip. Anyway, Torch tosses the paper at Reed so he can go get ready for his date with Doris. He claims he doesn't have time to waste worrying about some walking frozen custard. Meanwhile, the Thing is still trying to keep on task here. He's got like a huge um, bit of machinery on his shoulders here. I, I guess just waiting for Reed to actually do something. You know, the poor guy is uh, really the workhorse of the team here. From here, we shift scenes over to Xavier's House of Hardcore, where you'll never guess what the X-Men are currently up to. Well, you probably will. They're wrapping up a Danger Room practice session, because of course they are. Uh, worth noting, uh, Warren and Jean also seem to be preparing to head out on a date. Huh. Now, 16-year-old Bobby sees this, and he whines to the professor about how anytime he wants to ask Jean out on a date, Warren or Scott always beat him to the punch. 
And so I gotta ask, do these five fellas just like pass Gene around or something? That, uh, that seems a little awkward. Anyway, um, the professor, uh, well, he urges Bobby not to waste the entire day, and he suggests that maybe he head into New York City to go see the sights. Bobby finds a Gotham Boatline tour pamphlet and thinks to himself how there are likely to be a lot of, quote, swinging teens on this cruise that he can, uh, smooze with. And, uh, we also get a three-panel de-icing progression from Iceman, uh, to plain old Bobby Drake, which is... Probably more attention than Bobby gets in the actual X-Men mag. Now, minutes later, minutes later, uh, Bobby arrives in Manhattan, so he must have used a Krakoan gateway, or maybe a Krakoan cab or something. Now, whatever the case, he arrives just seconds too late to board this ferry boat. And so he ices up the ground and slides down a dock before pole vaulting onto the departing boat. So I don't know that he paid for his fare here. Is he a stowaway? I don't know. He then de-ices and starts people-watching. Now, just as he'd suspected, there were a lot of swinging teens on board. Unfortunately for him, however, they all seem to have been already paired off, right? They're they're all in couples here. But then, he spies a real doll all by her lonesome. And so he heads in to chat her up and gets turned down flat. Now, you see, this chick's already got a date, and she claims that there ain't a single teenager in the world who could be her guy's match. And she says that that's a pun, son, because uh, her beau is none other than Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. So, match, torch, get it? It's a pun, son. Now, Johnny saunters up, snaps his fingers, causing a flaming four to appear. Bobby decides to walk away from the lovebirds, but before he does, he remembers that he's a, you know, 16-year-old scamp, and so he freezes Johnny and Doris's sodas. Johnny freaks out before heating them back to their liquid and now probably flat state. Johnny wonders how this could have possibly happened. Um, dude must have a short-term memory or something. It was like just minutes ago, I mean, Stan told us minutes ago, that he was reading about the X-Men's resident frozen human torch. Oh, well. Back to Bobby. Now, he's walking away slump-shouldered and dejected, as he does, and he bumps into a pair of generic Jack Kirby mooks. Like, literally, he bumps into them. Now, not wanting to get his face punched in, he apologizes and continues along on his way. Now, once he's out of sight, these mooks get busy destroying the cruise ship's communication devices. They then signal to their boss that it's now safe to board and attack. And, uh, they're, they're really looking to attack a boat full of teenagers? What do they hope to gain? Oh, okay. Anyway, their boss is Captain Barracuda. And yes, THE Captain Barracuda. And uh, this is his first appearance, so get excited. And I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, who cares about Captain Barracuda? And so, Barracuda and his men, they speed over to the tour ship. They board the thing and try to rob everyone on it. They want money, jewels, you know, the usual stuff. Unfortunately, it's all teenagers, so I... I mean, what do they have? Bottle caps? Marbles? What what do kids in the 60s have? Maybe a yo-yo? A pet frog? I I don't know. Anyway, now one of the mooks grabs Johnny by his lapel. Johnny threatens him, to which he gets referred to as a, quote, helpless teenager. Well, that's basically young Master Storm's cue to start up with the torchin. He melts the mook's gun and starts lobbing fireballs at him as though he were Super Mario. Luckily, just like Mario's fireballs, these seem to just bounce, rather than, you know, setting the entire ship on fire. Now, Johnny spirits Dory away to a cabin so he can deal with the baddies. 
At that very moment, Bobby has iced up to do the same. Moments later, Iceman and the Human Torch wind up fighting the same mook. They inadvertently use their powers in tandem and give each other props for their neat offense. Captain Barracuda demands that his men blast Bobby with a water hose, and uh, the water freezes when it hits him, leaving our youngest X-Man encased in a giant ice block. Which, I mean, that's usually what he does to the bad guy, so it's a little bit of a role reversal here. Anyway, Johnny melts it about two seconds later, and he uses low-intensity flame, of course, because otherwise Bobby himself would have melted. And, you know, they probably would have burnt up the boat as well. Now, Johnny... He then flies up above the boat and unleashes his fiery pinwheel. Now, this produces a crazy amount of heat. Not enough to set the boat on fire, of course. Uh, This boat must be, like, fireproof. Is it made of, like, unstable molecules, asbestos? I I don't know. Then Barracuda has his men grab a very convenient asbestos tarp to toss over the torch. Which they do. But Johnny's able to burn through it because it's not asbestos at all. Just a regular old tarp. Now, for the first time yet, Johnny worries about burning the ship up. And so, he goes to toss the flaming tarp overboard. The baddies then pretend he's Andre the Giant in a battle royal, and they team up behind him to dump him over the edge as well. Probably getting second and third degree burns all over their bodies in the process. No matter, though. At least the Barracuda is still in the game. Back on deck, Iceman's back in action, and it looks like he's about to make a snowman. Well, he's actually just creating some large snowballs with which he can bowl over the Barracuda. Oh, and also by now the boat is officially on fire. So uh, about friggin' time. Uh, Bobby's balls managed to put out the flames, which isn't a sentence I ever expected to say. Uh, Bobby then goes about icing up the mooks. But the Barracuda has procured some tanks of gasoline, which when poured on the ice melts it with the quickness. It also, uh, you know, covers the entire boat in gasoline, which probably isn't the wisest play, um, especially as the Human Torch has already recovered and isn't being too shy about blasting the baddies with fireballs. Now, thankfully, this gas didn't ignite. Maybe it was diesel? I don't know. Now, Johnny's able to trap Barracuda's men in a ring of fire, but then the big bad reveals that he's got Doris. Well, that's convenient. Uh, Johnny drops the fire ring, and Barracuda goes to flee with Doris. Now, when the baddie goes to get away, Bobby produces an iceberg in the middle of the Hudson River, which rises Barracuda's dinghy out of the drink. The torch snags Doris, Bobby flees the scene as to protect his secret identity, and we can assume that the Barracuda was tossed behind bars. So all's well that ends well. And we wrap up with Johnny Storm expressing that he has a newfound respect for his icy counterpart and hopes that they get to know each other better someday. That's where we leave it. Next episode, more X-Men, more Fantastic Four, more me stumbling over my words. Uh, It'll be episode 9, wherein we look at Fantastic Four, number 28. But for now, let's talk about about this silly little story here. I I quite enjoyed it. I I think this one was a lot more fun than uh, the Iron Man sort of kind of team up with Angel last time out, where... If you remember, Angel got a uh, atomic bomb blown up in his face, so uh, this was a little bit better than that. <laughs> um, I do like that we didn't get the, you know, the usual Marvel mix-up thing where the Torch and Iceman would have to fight each other for a few pages, then decide they're on the same team, and then do the thing. And by do the thing, I don't mean literally do the thing like Ben Grimm. I mean, you know, do the thing, be the good guys, uh, take out the bad guys. 
So it's weird when like the two least mature members of a team actually act the most mature when kind of put together in comparison to the usual Marvel hero team up, uh, Michigas, right? So yeah, it was a uh, pretty good time here. Um, something that stuck out to me a little bit was how they kept playing up that the X-Men are like really uh, protective of their secret identities. I guess, you know, 60 years removed, it doesn't seem like quite the big deal that it might have been back in 1964, but I do find that interesting here. Um, and we're going to get a like a riff on that same exact newspaper scene from the open here in our, our next episode, where the X-Men are going to meet the Fantastic Four, so I guess be ready for that. Um, that's a, I guess it's a fairly decent uh, narrative device, right? It, it gets discussion percolating, a very convenient discussion, but I mean... Uh, these are Silver Age comics, so I probably shouldn't be thinking near as hard as I am. So what else is there to say? Uh, Captain Barracuda is... I guess he's a fair enough villain to use here, right? Uh, he's not much consequence to him, not much substance to him, but he fit the role, right? He was a uh, a pirate on the Hudson River who was trying to rob a tour ship full of uh, teenagers. I... I I really don't know. I mean, there were there were a few adults on on board here. We didn't get to pay attention to very many of them because, uh, well, that wasn't the story they were telling. So it's like, what's the best case scenario here for Barracuda? He, he makes a few bucks that he's got to split with his goons and pay for you know the fuel on his little dinghy to get it over to the cruise ship. This is a uh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is some Silver Age stuff. This is like a. Uh, Lex Luthor creating, like, a $5 billion robot to go steal $100,000 out of a bank. It's stuff we're not supposed to think about. That's uh, basically my main takeaway here, is don't think too hard, otherwise you're going to ruin it for yourself and uh, anybody with the misfortune of, uh, of listening to this program. So let's forget I, I made any sort of observation there. Overall, I, I had a really good time with this. It was silly. It was uh, The stakes were moderate. Right for the characters involved anyway, Iceman doing his, getting his own sort of solo adventure away from the X Men for the first time ever. It's pretty neat, and I mean it makes perfect sense for he and the Human Torch to cross paths. It's really the most obvious pairing between the two teams, and uh, it makes me wonder if this idea might have been born in a letters page for Fantastic Four. As we know, before they started the letters pages in the X-Men comics, there were letters pages in Fantastic Four and Amazing Spider-Man where Marvelites would talk about all the Marvel books. You know, people would complain that the Beast is a ripoff of the Thing and Iceman is a ripoff of the Human Torch in the Fantastic Four letters pages. So I do wonder if uh, if somebody asked Stan if uh, we'd see a Human Torch-Iceman team-up battle crossover sort of thing. And uh, from that, we get this... Uh, Wonderfully silly little story. Um, but I think that's pretty much all I got to say about that. I think I've dragged this uh, conversation on as far as I possibly could here. But before we go, we do have one letter in the mailbag here. And it's from our friend Billy Dunleavy here. And he's talking about our last episode, Tales of Suspense number 49. He says, Tony blasting a nuke near civilians? Say it ain't so. I bet if the police would have actually investigated, an empty bottle of Jack was nearby. On a recent episode of my podcast, Kyle Benning and I discussed a daredevil story where radiation made him go nutty, too. Stan's recipe for madness and superpowers in the Silver Age was definitely radiation. And in case you missed that episode here, uh, Tales of Suspense number 49 had 
Angel flying home from somewhere. He was flying back to the Xavier School, and uh, rather than go around a Stark factory, he decided to save himself about 15-20 seconds of travel time by flying directly over it at the very moment that uh, Tony was about to, well, explode a nuke. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the armor, you know, Tony's armor had shielded him from the the fallout, so he was okay, but Angel got a face full of it, and so he turned evil. Only regaining his bearings after Tony tricks him into uh, developing a conscience and uh, having his heart grow several sizes. Very silly. And nobody had to pay for anything. (laughs) There was nothing that followed here. I guess damage control just took care of everything without much much argument. Probably just sent a bill to uh, the Stark factory here. The police did not investigate. Uh, Iron Man blames Tony Stark for the atomic bomb. Uh, Angel, as he's insane, as he's evil, he he steals dynamite from a construction site and just starts setting off explosives in the sky and in the water. And uh, they, they just take Iron Man's word for it. He's okay now. Nobody gets investigated. Nobody gets any kind of a prison sentence. Nobody goes on trial. It was a simpler time. And uh, I guess in many ways a, a more fun time. But in some other ways a very frustrating time because it's like... You're reading this and you're like, wow, <laughs> they're getting away with everything here. It's no wonder Magneto has been able just to, like, walk into military bases and forts and just, just you know, loiter in, in very highly uh, highly classified and uh, should be very well guarded locales. And I don't think he's seen the inside of a jail cell yet either. So it's a, it's a funny bit about the early Silver Age Marvel stuff. But I'd like to thank you so much, Billy, for not only listening, but for writing in. It's uh, been a little bit harder to gain traction on the Essential episodes, which I understand. I understand. These are uh, very, very different than the current year stuff. So it, uh, if you like that, you may not like this. And if you like this, you may not like that. So I think this might be just a whole different ball of wax here with the Essential episodes here. But thank you again so much for, for listening. And for uh, writing in, I would like to invite everyone else who is uh, listening to do the same. Uh, If you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do so several different ways. Help me from being a lonely content creator that I am. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You could find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. You could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Or you could be the second person ever to call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. Now, you can check out blog posts and show notes over at chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And for the archives and all your Chris and Reggie comics commentary listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And that is available anywhere that the internet aggregates noise and or sound. And as I've been begging you every single time out, if you are... Pop over there and like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day. I would love for you to spread the word. Share the show, maybe tell a friend or two, and maybe beg them to do the same. It would really help the show. It would really help me feel a little bit better about the way I spend my free time. So uh, I thank you in advance for that. And I thank you in the present for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. It really, really means a lot. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.